this morning, you know, I've been feeling this, that there are people here that um, almost at the stage they want to give up. It's like um, you feel that disheartened about Christianity or about the way your Christianity's gone. And even looking at others and thinking, everyone seems to be doing so great, but I'm not. I'm trying and struggling and doing all that I should be doing, but it doesn't seem to be working. And it's, um, it's incredibly debilitating because you come into this message believing this is the answer, Jesus is the truth. And you may well still believe Jesus is the truth, but think you are the exception. You know, I'm the most wicked person in the world and it doesn't work for me. You know, I'd like to meet you afterwards. If, you know. <laughs> We've got a job for you. <laughs> it's, um, it's peculiar how the human mind works and how it kind of deceives us and tricks us that we don't see that which is plainly in front of us. And the, the gospel message is very plain. But the problem is it gets filtered through all that we believe and all that we've been conditioned to. And so we look at the message and you have half a dozen people and they all see it a different way, a slightly different way. That's the explanation, I suppose, because of the way some people come into Christianity and seem to just grow like crazy, but others of us really struggle. Sometimes that's part of the process because God has to work things out in us, but sometimes it's because it's the way we see it. It's almost like um, God's got this treasure house, you know, and there's a great big door, big brass door with a huge big lock in it. And when you get saved, he says, here's your key, you know. And we go, whoa, look at this key, I've got this key. You know, the key of the kingdom. But we've also got other keys in our pocket, which we really like, you know. And we look at our other keys and we go, these keys are shinier than that key, you know. I'll use the key I've always used, but the problem is it doesn't work. Yeah. And we're shoving this key in the door, the key we always use, and it doesn't work. Yeah. Because God's given you a key. And I'm sorry, but he doesn't change the lock for you. Tragic, isn't it? But he doesn't. He doesn't change it for you. Things, things don't kind of work out that way. And we've got to learn God's ways because God's ways are God's ways, not your ways. Sorry. You know, and the tragedy is, in even looking at church history, you can go back and look at some of the monastic behavior and so on through the centuries. How we have tried to reach God, like the story of the monk who sat on top of some pole a platform on a pole for 20-something years, you know, because he wanted to be separate from the evil of the world around him and he was going to be so holy, you know. Well, I never met the guy, but I don't imagine he'd be much fun. And the other ones who <laughs> bricked themselves into rooms and the food was kind of poked through a hole, you know, this, was, this is how to find God. Was that the key that God gave them? I think not. When you look at the fruit, I think not. Uh, I was watching a movie the other night where one guy had been especially naughty, so he thought he'd deal to himself, and he flagellated himself. You know what that is? It's not a Baptist thing, really. But it's a, he had these, this whip, and he was flogging himself on the back. I thought, help, that doesn't look like much fun. <laughs> I think I'll become a Buddhist. <laughs> you know? But that was his idea. His, he thought that because he had been so bad, he needed to punish himself, and then God would go, okay, that's enough. You've done well. You deserved a good beating. 
Aren't we weird? And this doesn't come out of the Bible. This is something that we managed to dream up all by ourselves. Didn't I do well? Okay, Galatians 1 verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which, just verse 7a, which is really no gospel at all. Gospel means good news, and it's certainly not good news what they were doing. And we can be into a gospel which has all the same words. It's funny, you know, when you study some of the cults, they use all the same words that Christians use, but they have different meanings. There was a guy a number of years ago, most of you, I know, probably a lot of you, because you look old enough, will remember Lloyd Gehring, who was the principal of Knox College, Presbyterian College, and Lloyd was an extremely deceived man and wrote a book denying the resurrection and the virgin birth, you name it, he denied everything. And they never really dealt to him, and because of that, the media see, used to see him as a bit of an authority on religion. <laughs> oh, goodness. He was an authority on controversy and nonsense. But he threw a lot of people into confusion. And there was a great emptying out in the Presbyterian church at that time because of the deception of this man. So the thing is this, about deception. Deception convinces you that their method is the way to God. This is the right way. Do it this way. But the problem is, it doesn't lead you to God at all. Galatians 3, 1 and 2 says this, You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? They were in trouble in Galatia. They were saying that you had to convert to Judaism and fulfill all the Jewish rituals and then you could become a Christian. So in so doing, they put a roadblock of God's blessing. They gave them another key and said, here, open the door with this one. But it doesn't open the door. And people were disillusioned, I have no doubt. And Paul wrote to correct them. In the same way that Christians, uh, and especially Baptists, can have this fatalism, this kind of, ah, oh, well, God will do what God wants to do, you know. He will do it, you know. Oh, we're going to have revival in this church. Oh, that's a relief. <laughs> Actually, what God's saying to you is that He wants to partner with you. He wants to join with you. He wants to work with you. Those of you that can kind of hold the right key. And I hope this morning I can put a key in some people's hands. Others of you, it's probably going to be a bit boring. So, And there's nothing deeply theological. A certain person said to me, Oh, I'm looking forward to you bringing this... Deep message, <laughs> brother, put your notes away. It's not about that. <laughs> it's something simple, but it's the simple thing that we trip on. Yeah. I found myself when I, I first became a Christian, I was a bit of a menace to Baptists especially. I wasn't in the Baptist movement. I was in another movement that was more forgiving. <laughs> and uh, I got onto the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I thought it was the greatest thing since boiled lollies, you know. And I, I was, anyone who come near me had to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And actually I was highly successful. I got hundreds of people baptized in the Holy Spirit. But 
I mostly discovered about every deception that you could discover in why people don't get baptised in the Holy Spirit, why they never speak in tongues, why they can never operate in the gifts. And I rooted these things out one at a time and found my way around them and used to help a lot of people by explaining to them a more perfect way, you know? And that's it. Our minds are our worst enemies sometimes. What we believe, the baggage we bring with us into Christianity, just weighs us down and blinds us and holds us back. And we're trying with our key, you know, try harder. You know, have you ever got really mad with a key and broke it off? <laughs> That's exciting. So this is what some Christians are doing. You're ramming the thing in, you know. I must fast. I'll go away and fast for 40 days or I'll... I'll sing louder in church, I'll jump higher, I'll do whatever it takes. You know, that will impress God. But that's not the key he's given you. Some of those things are appropriate at the right time, but not to try and get favour with God. And often we bring self-lies with us into our Christian faith. And then we automatically do what we have always done to be accepted or to be significant. And it doesn't work. Doesn't work. God's got a whole different way of doing things. And it's not rocket science either. In fact, it's so simple, people go, ah, it's got to be a harder way. Maybe I need to be whipped, you know. That may be appealing to some, but we won't go there. It's all like, you know what I mean? What do you have to do to be accepted? Some people go to any length, you know. Some of the crazy things I could tell you about I've seen in 40-odd years as a Christian. So there is a basic human need to, belo to belong and to be accepted. Sometimes it's interesting to look at the behaviour of young teenagers with the opposite sex and look at the way they act to one another, making complete asses of themselves, but they don't know how to be sophisticated. They don't know how to be really cool like us adults, you know. Come on, dear. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and we are just wanting to be accepted. We're wanting to relate. We're wanting to connect. But we don't know how. We don't understand. And we usually frighten the other person out of their wits in our attempts to impress them. That's what we do. That's what we do with God. God's going, oh, no, here come the Christians again, you know? I had a young man in my church, well, he wasn't, he was about 30 in my church, uh, many, many years ago when I first started. And uh, this was a terribly sad story because he would be one of the most gifted young people that I've ever uh, uh, known. He could sing like an angel, honestly, no bet. He was world class. And he could play a guitar, as they say, like ringing a bell, you know. He was really, really good. And he should have been on the world stage, but he was an alcoholic and a Christian and a very broken man. But he also, just to complete the picture, had a powerful anointing on his life. He really did. A lot of people don't understand this. They think that if a person carries a powerful anointing, they must be very good or very close to God. Uh -uh. <laughs> You see, and the anointing is like this coat I wear. You just put it on. And underneath can be this quaking mess. No, not me. I'm just using this as an example. But it's a, 
But you know what I mean? It's, that's the way. And when you learn how to do that, you can do that. And that's why you see, how can it be that this evangelist who healed the sick, who did this, you know, and people got saved under his ministry, and he's run off with so-and-so or whatever or pinched all this money. How could that happen? Christianity must be wrong. No, sorry. That's how the anointing works. It's not a mark of character. And that's how false prophets come, false apostles. Paul wrote about them and talked about them. You've got to be discerning and saying, if a person is um, getting drunk on Saturday night and swearing blind and doing disgraceful things and then healing the sick on Sunday and you're seeing God's power working, you're looking at a false prophet. You need to understand how that works. So don't look at people with anointing and think, ooh, they must be really close to God. Not necessarily. Except there's a few exceptions. You know. <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> I could be deceiving you. You don't know, you see. <laughs> this guy, getting back to this guy, we worked with him a lot and we actually managed to bring him to a point where the drink was more or less under control and he was, he returned to work. He was an outstanding school teacher, creative, clever, wrote plays that everything is every school's dream. But he could never really break through with God because he had a wrong key in his hand. And he didn't believe he was acceptable. He hated himself. He, uh, he thought his, um, he always thought he was a failure. He uh, could never do enough. He never pleased God enough. He said to me one time, the closest I ever, ever felt to God, this is a, a young Catholic boy, was when I was coming home from church after my first communion. I wished I'd died right then. I felt so close to God. He had done something, you see. This ceremony and whatever somehow clicked with him. Well, I'll, the end result was this: was he ended up leaving us because we were deeply deceived, and so on, legalistic, and and we were pretty young in the ministry. We didn't understand how we could help him, and now we probably could. But then again, would he want help? And he ended up; his marriage broke up. His health was broken. He had left Oxford by this time. And he contracted lung cancer because he was a smoker, you know, as well. I went and saw him just before he died, and honestly, the light had gone out. I, w I came away. I just couldn't, I couldn't bear to go to his funeral. And he'd got into this ultra-Catholic faith. The Latin mass, the whole deal was in Latin. Mel Gibson got into it too, you know. And it was kind of like you've got to do it the old Middle Ages way. And that made him, every day he went down and took communion. And I spoke to his sister and she said, oh, he's been much better since he came back to the true faith. And even the Catholic priests were rolling their eyes, you know what I mean? What was it? He felt like he was doing something to make up for his badness. He, he felt like he was earning it. He felt like these are the rules, I'll keep the rules. And I remember I said to him, when I saw him last, I said to him, wow, remember all those prophecies that came out and you gave prophecies about this and things happened. He looked at me a bit bewildered. He said, they've all, I said, they have all come to pass. The church is flourishing and has grown enormously since you left. And he looked confused. 
And I thought, oh, I won't go there. I'll leave it at that. But that guy died, and a lot of people grieved for him because of his enormous gift. But apart from that, you would think he had everything. So what is it? What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us that we are like this? This is what you say to your kids. You know, what is wrong with you? I can remember hearing my parents at night talking in the bed. What is wrong with that boy? <laughs> I said, I'll keep listening and maybe they'll find out. <laughs> Everyone has an identity. Well, the way I'm going here, I'll never get through this. Everyone has an identity, and, and my identity before I got saved was very much tied in in what I did. I was a police detective, and that sort of was a, gave you a bit of notoriety. So down there in Dunedin, <laughs> the crime of Dunedin. And I was also a rugby player, and I'd played to a high level, so I was well-known in Dunedin in that area, and that was my image. You know. I was the rugby player, don't mess with me in the... In the police detective, you know, and that's the image you have, and you build these images around yourself. But what God did, and I know God did it now, God did for the first time, he opened my eyes and said, Morris, you're getting old, you know, you're 30, going to be 31 this year, and you're going to have to retire one day, you know, you're not going to be one of those silly old men that can't give the game up, you know, my son played into his 40s, and I told him he was senile, but you know what I mean, it's kind of an image thing. And uh, I had had a few encounters in the CIB with some of the authorities that disillusioned me because there's a lot of politics in those jobs, a lot of politics, and I was very disillusioned. And I thought, I can't do this forever, I've got to get out. And I was looking around for something new. God had prepared the ground in my life so that I would be receptive. But church, oh, you've got to be kidding. You know, there was no way that I could see that church would be acceptable to me because I was not good enough. And I could never be one of those goody-goodies. And my recollection of childhood faith was the goody-goodies were usually not a bit strange. They weren't very nice, you know what I mean? So anyway, I didn't want to be one of them, you know. And as a young teenager, I'd made a decision for Christ, and I lasted about two weeks, I think, in this Presbyterian church that I was in. And I, I looked at those around me who were supposed to be the models and I thought, good night, do I have to be one of them? And the flesh pots of the world had too strong an allure at 14 years of age, so that was it. But Miriam was an intercessor and uh, she was also obeying God and getting herself into a place where she could bring breakthrough. And through her intercession, I'm sure God began to open my eyes and I was seeing things and I didn't know what to do with it. And finally, God showed me the way through, and it came by revelation. A Presbyterian minister, or a retired one, came round to our house one day and said to me, straight in with a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is actually about something that God knows about you, past or present. And he went straight in and said, Morris, you are ready to give your life to Christ. And when he did, my light went on just like that. And I thought, oh no! Jesus is the truth. That's what I thought, honestly. I thought, this is going to ruin my life. <laughs> Absolutely. That was, these are the, I'm being very honest with you. I'm sharing what I thought. This is going to ruin my life. I'm going to be one of those goody-goodies, you know. And uh, I thought, I felt an immediate obligation because I'd seen the truth. Another voice said, 
whoa, you can do that when you get really old, you know. Lots of things to do in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, another voice said, why don't you do what's right for a change instead of what you think your friends will approve of? Yeah. And that is, that got me. And I made a decision for Christ right there and then. I actually asked to be water baptised on the Sunday because they were having a ceremony outdoors in a freezing pool in June in Dunedin. <laughs> One of the guys I got baptised with, thought he, I thought I knew him, and he said, you do, you locked me up two years ago. You know, so, <laughs> so, so God was dealing with some things. But you see... I had one thing in my favour. I knew that I was a ratbag. I knew it. I knew that I was a sinner. There was no way I would be acceptable to God. That was what I knew about myself. And there was no way that I could be good enough to be acceptable. In fact, I'm still working on it now. You know? So, yeah, <laughs> Mary reminds me often, you are a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I came close. I got, yeah, here's the opening. I came close. I, I was just saying, a couple of weeks ago, I was out playing golf, which I hardly got out this year at all. But I had the worst round of golf in living memory. If ever I thought I was being judged, it was that moment, you know. And, and I couldn't remember playing more badly except when I started out in the game. And I thought, is this a sign from God that I should give it up and sell the clubs? Yeah. So I went back yesterday and played another game to see, but oh, it was just different. God smiled upon me, you know. And, um, <laughs> and uh, it was a much, much better round. It was very respectable. And so uh, I was reminded of the, the vicar who had a really bad round of golf. And so he picked his clubs up and threw them into the swamp that was kind of near the golf course and walked off. And a week later he came back and he waded into the swamp and found his clubs, picked them up and threw them in further. <laughs> that has got nothing whatever to do with the sermon, but I thought I've got to share that. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, 8 to 10, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, but it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I knew there was no way I could earn it. <clears throat> the devil used to remind me of my sins, which was kind of took up quite a bit of time. And I'd say, oh, for goodness sake, I'd say, okay. I started asking God to forgive me for them. And then I'd say to the devil, are there any more that you can remind me of? You know? <laughs> And actually that worked. He never reminded me ever again. That stopped it right there. Because uh, he was helping me. I said, you're very helpful. Is there any more? And everything went quiet. <laughs> so I hadn't become sinless. It was just that he realised that tactic wasn't working. It was no good trying to condemn me because I knew I was condemned. I knew that I had a very strong awareness of myself as a sinner. The only way out was the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That was the only way out. Yeah. That was the only key I had in my pocket. I didn't have any other keys. If I did, I'd thrown them away long ago. I had one key. One key. And that one key tapped me right in to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. 
Now, the strange thing is, I, I grew quite quickly as a Christian. I, I ended up pastoring a church when I'd been a Christian for five years, which is kind of alternative to suicide, you know, but I survived. <clears throat> the guy who led me to the Lord came to me one time, and he said to me, what, what, what did you do? What did you do? And I says, what do you mean, Graham? And he says, what did you do? What did you do that God blessed you so much? And I thought, what? You know, I didn't do anything. I just believed. And I, looking back, I realized that Graham was a very intense guy. He had a wonderful gift, and he led a lot of people to Christ. But in himself, he was not a happy man. He was very intense, and he was always trying to make it. He was always trying to get there. And it was kind of like, ah, you know, if I just grip my teeth a bit harder and, you know, I'll break through. Whereas I'd kind of walk into situations in my usual manner, and I'd just see something and bang, heaven would come down. Because there's only one key. One key. And you've got to put yourself in the zone when you work in the Spirit. You've got to put yourself in the right place when you're working with God. And the way I'd, I'd simply, you know, hang on, I'll move and I'll give you another scripture. It's always a good thing to fill in. 1 Corinthians 3. When in doubt, turn to the Bible. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 to 15. Paul makes a statement. He says, By the grace God's given to me, I lay a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If a man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Now, God will... Gosh, I'm just about done, am I? I haven't got past the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. This will have to be a four-week series. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just in, a, in that kind of strange mood, so in mind. So what does God do? God puts fire into your life. He puts pressure on you so you discover if you've got the real deal or not. And some people just don't last. They walk out of Christianity disillusioned because it seemed like a good idea and it was kind of great at the time, but when the pressure came on, God didn't do what they wanted him to do. And so they got blown away. They got burnt up. When I was transferred, after I got saved, I was promoted to sergeant. I don't know how that happened. And I was transferred up to Christchurch, and I was first six months I was in charge of a crime squad, which consisted of five other guys and myself in a battered old van and in old clothes, roaring around Christchurch looking for trouble. <laughs> and we found plenty of trouble, you know? It was kind of undercover, sort of. And these other guys, one was a, a, a kind of a new age guy, another one was an atheist, and one was a party animal. They all had different angles. And they spent six months trying to convince me of the error of my ways. And they said, well, we heard that you used to be a real good guy, you know. Well, we won't go there. But <laughs> they spent six months trying to convert me back. And what was the effect of it all? It forced me to press into God. I didn't know all the answers, but it forced me to look to study, to, to, uh, to be bold. 
So I either stood up for what I believed or I was under. I can remember sitting in the sergeant's office, reading my Bible, and the guy next to me was reading Playboy, you know. So look at this. <laughs> look at this. You know? but, and I knew they were laughing at me behind my back, you know, honestly. I ran into, uh, a couple of days ago, I was up at Oxford visiting an old person, and I was in the old people's home, and I walked around the corner, and I ran straight into the guy who was the inspector in charge of our, squ our squad. And he goes, oh, hi, oh, you're still up here? And I was, no, and we talked. And he said, to the first question he asked me was, are you, are you happy? So he said to me, and I'd witnessed to him a lot. And he had had an experience with God, but he was also a, a strange kind of person, a real ratbag. And he just was, there was a wildness in him that he just couldn't go there. That was what he asked, are you happy? And I thought, man, all this time. All those years ago. But this was my training ground. You know, God's wisdom was changing my thinking and renewing my mind and forcing me to stand against her opinions. Knowing that Jesus, all I had was Jesus is the truth. And I hung on to that. The devil used to hammer me and hammer me about, how do you know you're right? Look at all those Muslims. They're blowing people up and doing all sorts of things. How do you know they're not right? And the Buddhists and the alcoholics, you know, how can two million drunks be wrong? You know, so on. <clears throat> and he would have all these convincing arguments. And finally, I didn't have all the answers back then, but what I... Well, I've got all the answers now. You know. <laughs> what I did was, and this is what I did, I fell back on the word of God. God had shown me Jesus was the truth. So I says, look, I don't care what you say. Don't care what your arguments are. I know you're lying. I don't have the answers right now, but I'll get them. But as far as I'm concerned, the Bible is God's word. It's the truth, and I'm standing on it, and Jesus is the truth. So you can go and get, you know, fall over or something, you know. But the voice stopped. That was it. I shoved the sword of the Spirit deep into him. That was it. Because Jesus was teaching me how to fight, how to stand, how to grow. And it's not rocket science. If you try to do it with your great intellect or your arguments or everything else, you're wasting your time. The devil's telling you what a rotten... There's another one. The devil comes to you and says, oh, what a rotten sinner you are. <clears throat> oh, you're just horrible. Oh, you what a... Call yourself a Christian. Oh, look, that old lady, you didn't help her across the road and so on. He'd be telling you all these things. And the best way is to agree with him. Don't argue. Just say, yeah, you're right. You know, I'm part of fallen humanity. I'm, I am hopeless. But we're not dealing with my righteousness, are we? We're not dealing with my righteousness, are we? We're dealing with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and I believe in him, and he has given me his righteousness. And you couldn't hear much for the devil choking, you know. But just say to him, and what about you? <laughs> you know? That's right, and I've done this often on altar calls, people on altar calls. Oh, I'm such a mess on this and that and the other thing. And, and I go, well, it seems to me you're doing really well. And they go, what do you mean I'm doing really well? I feel terrible, I'm horrible. He says, well, you're halfway there. I says, what do you mean I'm halfway there? Well, you realize that you are absolutely hopeless outside of Jesus Christ. You're, you know you're a sinner. You know you're washed up. You're part of broken humanity. Read some sections of Romans if you're not convinced. But you are halfway there. There's another step. 
You've got to reach out in faith to Jesus Christ and complete the picture. How many Christians are all beaten up? How about, you know, you're sitting there, ladies, doing what you're doing at home and you're thinking, oh, I'm just so hopeless and useless and I'm the worst wife in the world. You could be the worst wife in the world, I don't know. But there's, there's no point in fighting that way. It doesn't work unless you're, you're a masochist and you like to be depressed. You know, there's only one way to fight it, and it's to fight it with the Word of God. See, God was wanting to give me a new identity. One of my most embarrassing moments as a policeman, as a Christian policeman, I was, <laughs> I was helping to organise the armed defenders retreat at Burnham Military Camp, and uh, I was one of the, the guys who were running it. And I was uh, sitting in the bar afterwards with my glass of lemonade, you see, and a mate of mine who was a, a petty officer in the Navy, and he's also a police sergeant, he sees me there and he says, What's the story, Morris? You know, doesn't that new religion of yours allow you to drink a man's drink? You know? Well, the whole bar went just silent. Obviously, it was like, and I'm standing there and every eye is on me, you see. And I says, Well, Alan, hopefully by next week I'll be on to something stronger, like milk. <laughs> and, and the whole, everyone cracked up, you see. It was like, and he said to me, oh, I just had to wind you up. You know, that was old Alan. He was as rough as anything. But things like that happen. And, and, and you've got to ask yourself the question, who are you? How do you have to defend yourself? You know, what is your identity? And my, if my identity was not in Jesus Christ, I probably would have reached for the Johnny Walker, you know? God was giving me a new identity. And so many believers are striving to be accepted, striving to be loved by God, Feeling failures, not good enough when it's all theirs in Jesus Christ. All they've got to do is pick up the key and open the door and it's all there. Next, Romans 8. Let me know. Drag me down from here if I'm going too long. Uh, I'm sorry. I've I've just been too funny this morning. I've taken up too much time. We've been trying to get rid of that demon for years. but <laughs> Romans 8, 1-4. Therefore now, there is now no condemnation, yes, for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. The moment you get into this behavior thing, into this trying thing, or if I just pray harder, study harder, blah, 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 you are history. You're out of the grace of God. And that doesn't mean that you won't do any study or you won't pray or you won't... It's the motive. Why do you do it? If you are doing it to earn favor, you are toast. That's right. You can do all these good things, but if you're thinking God's impressed, dream on. God's impressed when you believe on his son. Because when you're trying to get there by another way, you are actually making an idol of it all. See, in, in Romans 7.24, Paul, Paul's talking about the good that I want to do, you know, 
What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And I can relate to that. The fallen nature is so strong and so powerful, but it pivots off motives. What's your motive? If you understand the condition we were in and we came to Christ, we received Christ, now we have the righteousness of God. Perfect access to the Father. Now, your, your status before God is perfection. But your state may be just a bit ragged. That's talking about maturity. That's talking about growing. That's talking about developing. So if you beat yourself up all the time, every time you do something wrong, you're just being silly. That doesn't impress God one bit. What impresses God is when you say, Lord, I just need your help. Forgive me. I've failed. I've got drunk again or I did something, you know. And you ask for help. And God will bring help if you're humble enough to receive it. So our flesh loves self-effort and it doesn't work as it says here in Romans because of the sinful nature. It doesn't work. The law of the Spirit says Jesus met the demands of the law. If we believe in him and become as righteous as God, then we are home and hosed. I had a, I don't know if it was in this church, but I was, I was preaching somewhere at one time and there was a girl on the altar call, she'd be in her late 20s, and she was... Um, blubbering and crying and I thought what's going on here and I went to her I said what's going on and she says nothing ever works for me God never touches me never answers my prayers nothing ever works I'm just hopeless and I'm useless and blah 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 so I thought oh, what do I do with this so I said okay did my usual treatment I said you're halfway there <laughs> you're realizing you're useless now let's try and see if we can get you the rest of the way I said, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine standing beside a great sea. And that sea is called the Sea of Forgetfulness. And God says he throws our sins into the Sea of Forgetfulness. Now imagine there's a pile of bricks there and they're your sins. Big pile, yeah, big pile. Start throwing them in and let me know when you're finished. And she worked away in her mind. Yeah, I've got them all in there. Okay, no more sins. They're all in God's forgetfulness. Now, there's another pile there. It's your good deeds. Your goodness and the things you think commend you, throw them in there too. <clears throat> so she tossed all them in there in imagination. And then we came back to it and I says, okay, now I want you to imagine at your feet is the cross. And I want you to pick it up in your imagination and say to God the Father, all I have is this. And the power of God... <laughs> knocked her flat on the floor. Down she went, wham, on the floor as she did this. And when she kind of came out of it a bit, she said, this never happened to me before. And I bent down to her and said, because you've never tried faith, lady. <laughs> I'm very sympathetic, aren't I? You know, but that, that's true. All the time she'd been, oh, I've been so good today, God. You know, <laughs> wasting your time. And that's what happens, is that we have a wrong key and we're trying to open a legitimate door with the wrong key. At the turn of the century, there was a woman that went around preaching on the baptism of the Spirit. She was a medical doctor called Dr. Lillian Yeoman. It's long, way back, 100 years ago now. And she was going to this particular town and everyone was waiting in anticipation because this was this new message. And when she turned up at the, the town... Uh, they all attended, including the woman who organised it, who was the village holy woman. 
She was a very, very nice woman and a devoted Christian who had one problem, and that was her husband who was a drunk and alcoholic and absolutely hopeless. And anyway, they were all at the meeting and Lillian was preaching and the door opened and they all turned around and it was her husband coming in. They all thought, oh no. But he sat at the back quietly. And when she had finished the message, she gave the appeal and immediately they heard a crash and they looked around and there was this guy flat on his face on the floor, which is not unusual. But what was the difference was he was speaking in tongues. He had got saved and he was the first one in the whole meeting. And uh, one by one, people got touched and filled with the Spirit and got saved and whatever, and they were all down to one person left. It was the village holy woman. And she was on her knees crying and crying out to God. And her husband, who was now redeemed, (laughs) came along and started praying with her. And in her frustration, she turned to him and says, it seems to me it was easier for you to get rid of your wickedness than it is for me to get rid of my goodness. Uh Uh-huh. So what do you come to God with? What do you ask God on the basis of? Being a good, good boy or good girl this week? Have you been a good boy? You know, God's up in heaven. Have you been good this week? Oh, you get a chocolate? <laughs> you know? That's kind of the mentality that we have. We don't understand how God works and what he's trying to do. As long as you're striving to get there, you will never arrive. And you'll find yourself being critical feeling a failure, feeling condemned, looking at others, all these things. That's it, guys. I can take a hint. I can't, actually. <laughs> I'm sort of one of these, you know, they had to drag them down. <laughs> you know? What's the time? Oh, help. Any minute now, the Holy Spirit's going to leave, so I better... <laughs> I'll, I'll just give you the last scripture. I'm down to the last scripture. I remember looking at this, and this is what happens. I used to give the guys heaps at Oxford and say, how many pages of notes you got? That's all I got. You know, and I was sort of challenging them to depend on the Holy Spirit. And I looked at this thing and I thought, oh, there's nothing here, God. You've got to give me something. And he did. But I went, I can't fit, fit everything in. So what do you do? <laughs> Just sit down and shut up. I'll give you one last scripture. Matthew 16, 16, Matthew 16, 18, 19. Just one last scripture. I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Okay, I'll leave it at that. It was really good stuff. I'm not going to tell you. So, (laughs) I can't help myself, can I, you know. Actually, there's quite a presence of God here this morning and, and in it... I get very susceptible to atmospheres. I feel slightly drunk with it. You may not have noticed, but it's just kind of it's what the Holy Spirit does to me. Let's stand, okay? Now, I want us, I want us to make a connection with God this morning. And, and only on the basis of Jesus Christ. It's just faith, faith, faith. There's no other way. No other way. But subtly, we are trying other ways. You know? <laughs> Striving, trying. And I've even known people to fake falling over in the Spirit because that made them feel accepted. 
That's sad. You know, that's really sad. And that's how driven we are to be accepted, to be noticed or whatever. The people I'm especially speaking to this morning, that you have been struggling in your faith. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because many of us have that at some time or another. And I've had one or two dark times in my faith. I really have. I haven't gone over the wall, but I've felt some dark times and struggled. And it was what God was doing in me. If you're in that place this morning, you're struggling, you are in a dark place, then if you want to come forward publicly and say, Jesus, I want to center myself on you. I want to center myself on you. By faith, I want to center myself. I am acceptable to God on one basis. Number one, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. Number two, Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Okay? And while we're at it, we might as well do the whole deal. If people come over there by Miriam, if you've always struggled to speak in tongues and you are not getting there, struggling and struggling, trying, give more in the offering, so, you know, and nothing seems to work, <clears throat> then you come over there this morning and I'm pretty sure we can help you because you just got to have the right key, that's all. Okay? So you just respond and come forward as you feel God's leading you, but I'll just pray now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence and your power this morning. <clears throat> God, I just pray now. and I ask for your revelatory power to come upon us that we begin to see. Let the scales fall off eyes now, Lord, that we begin to see and begin to understand that the word of faith is nigh us. It's right here in our mouths that Jesus Christ has died, has risen, has sent the Holy Spirit. We have all that we'll ever need. It's all here now. And just by faith, Lord, we access it. Just come to us now and touch us and refresh us and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell you what, is there any place where you can get so knocked around and disillusioned? It's in the ministry or in the mission field. It really is. So when you're under pressure, so you just come if that's where you're at. If you want to speak in tongues, come over there where Miriam is.
Just quickly, if there's anyone else to be prayed for for tongues, just quickly come down here now, because I'll, you know, I'll do it as a batch, rather than everyone together. So just quickly, and uh, heaven's gates are closing, closing. <laughs> Must be only girls here. God's presence is here. If you're wanting to um, uh, receive uh, an encounter with God this morning, then you also feel free to come forward and we'll pray with you that you experience a real encounter with God through His grace and His goodness that just coming on you. Um, otherwise, the service is closed. Um, if you're wanting, to, if there's still um, any aspect of healing that you're wanting to receive, you can also come forward. Um, can I just ask that you just respect those who are really wanting to connect with God this morning and and if you're wanting to talk we have a great cafe out the back where you can go out there and meet people and share and, and talk but the band's going to continue just to sing quietly for a little while as for those who are really wanting to connect with God just to have that encounter <laughs> 